WNBA Nation. Good news. We officially have a season. Basketball's been played. More basketball's about to be played. It's just the best news. I hope the weekend was as exciting for you as it was for us, and we're going to talk about it. I'm Steve Schwartzman, flanked as always. Well, sorry, I'm going to do the NWSL, it's always. But franked quite frequently uh, by our uh, resident Oregonian, Logan Jones. Logan, how are you? I'm doing good, Steve. I'm I'm a little self conscious because I'm clashing today. I've got a storm shirt, and it's the All Star one, so it's red, which is also kind of weird. And then I got my Chicago hat, and I I just I just threw it. It's like I got dressed in the dark and was just like, "Give me all the WNBA stuff," because that's what this week is about. It's funny because that almost feels right. Yeah, that's how I feel in, in its own way, and that's how I wanted to show Man. it on the outside. Like I see what you're saying. Yeah, like I could throw. You know, I've got my. I think I've got my Chicago hat. I've got my Sparks jersey on the back wall now. Got some Aces cups. I'm trying to get something from every team as a part of this background, but I haven't finished that yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the Sparks released more merch today, and I was going to send you the link, and then I was like, I don't want to cost Steve money every time I send him something. Oh, goodness. So I, just, I need to bury this one. <laughs> if you're talking during this show and you hear me just, like, wince at something, that's probably why, because I'll be looking up the merch like, this ain't good. <laughs> This ain't good at all. Um, golly, so good. But it, we officially have a season in, under our hands. We've now watched, to my count, seven basketball games. Before We're going to dive into all of that. We'll dive into the matchups. We'll see how our impressions are. We'll talk about some of the season predictions that probably are already null and void. But first things first, we do have better news. That's worth calling out. Uh, of course, if you were watching at all this weekend, the 2020 Basketball Hall of Fame was inducted, including Tamika Catchings, which was a fantastic moment. Um, they, uh, one of my favorite highlights, they shared uh, a really interesting photo of a young Tamika Catchings and Kobe Bryant together as children yes. in Italy. Yeah, that was so It was great. a cool moment. A lot of people don't realize they had a really good relationship. In fact, I think my favorite Kobe Bryant photo ever was an early, like, year 2000 date that Kobe went on with Vanessa to Disneyland and they're riding like the Dumbo ride at Disneyland and Kobe's with Vanessa and he's wearing uh, a catch Tennessee Jersey. Cool. It's so cool. Like it's, it's very cool. So they called that out. But yeah. Let's talk about that for just a second. Cause there's really, there's a lot of WNBA legends that had some stuff happen this weekend. And I feel like the WNBA had to, to kind of figure out how not to overshadow one with the other. So first things first, I think they, they gave Catch her due. And there's a really good article on ESPN or Sports Illustrated, I can't remember which, saying basically like Catchings wasn't just like an OG, like one, one of like the first great players of the league. She might legitimately have claim of being the greatest of all time player in this league. Yeah. And it was a it was a compelling argument. I mean, we just talked about Tarazi the other day on the Merck preview episode. But if you look, I mean, Catchings is obviously in the Mount Rushmore, but could could be number one. I don't know if that discussion is important necessarily, but um, that's that's how significant her Hall of Fame induction was. This is this is a major moment in in all of basketball for her. I would say that catch is 
the I would say that Ketch is the greatest underrated WNBA player of all time because I know she's third in points. Before the last couple of years, she was the all-time leader in assists and rebounds and was third in points at the same time. Um, was able to bring Indiana a title all on its own. And you go de- up and down. De- that's, that's three of many accolades we haven't called out yet. I believe the only five-time defensive player of the year. Every single aspect of the game, she's in the top three to five of every stat aspect, whatever you can call for the game. For some reason, she never touches the, the, like the GOAT discussion. I think the who's the best ever discussion gets like beat to death and then beat to death all over again in every sport. But I'll, I'll put it this way. If, if you're having the, the Mount Rushmore discussion with somebody and they don't have catch in their top four, I, I don't know how it's pop. Like, I don't know how you can not have her in your top four. Yeah. And there's, there's only a handful of players across all sports. Like in the NBA, everybody's got a different top four. But there's like one or two players that's kind of like, if you don't have them, I don't even know how to talk to you. It'd be, to me, not calling out catch, it, it, whether it's the GOAT discussion or the all-time discussion, it's like not putting Wayne Gretzky in the hockey discussion. To, like, to me, that's the equivalent of like, why aren't we, why is this randomly? For some reason, I don't know if it's because she honestly is a humble individual who wasn't like a market style, like, not even she she was extremely marketable. She just wasn't marketed. There were just no superstars. They're, we're just barely scraping the surface of women's basketball players becoming stars and superstars. Like, brandable, outside of the yeah. sport, recognizable superstars. And, and those existed, but I think we're in the era of meeting that those people existing and the infrastructure willing to market them. Like, it's yeah, this yeah. is the sweet spot. So I think that could be part of it. Yeah. When I say she wasn't brandable, I don't mean like she did anything wrong. I, I mean, like the, the league for 25 years has been full of those types of players and they haven't be- become fully realized. There's no Jordan brand equivalent yeah. for, for a to me, to, yet. A prime Tamika Catchings in a Kathy Engelbert era would be front and center to me. Sure. Like one of those sure. right up there in your face. Yeah. You got to be careful with your Wayne Gretzky comp because people really hate when you compare great yeah. women's basketball players to stars in other sports, apparently. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> and you know what? If it takes the heat off of Logan, I'm at SC Schwartzman. People got really mad at, at uh, uh, who was it? It wasn't LaChina. It was Rebecca Lobo um, said, like, there's no reason that, hmm. you know, like her, you know, Tarazi's name shouldn't be as recognizable as, as Serena Williams. And the Serena Williams Twitter hive was like, how dare you talk about her <laughs> this way? And it was like, no, that was like a compliment. It was a really like positive thing to, to compare the two. But so you gotta, yeah. be, you gotta be careful with your cross sport player comps. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, listen, if you're, if, if anyone feels that way and you want to come at me, if it takes the heat off Logan, I'm at SC Schwartzman. You're free to call me out. And, um, also something young people need to learn is just because I said a person's name and another person's name doesn't suddenly mean I'm saying one's good and one's bad. You need to understand <laughs> how bringing up two nouns in a sentence doesn't necessarily mean that's always what the argument is. I'm just saying I feel like it, in almost any other case, someone of Tamika's prowess in the sports discussion in any other league, 
it'd be a no-brainer to bring up her name. And it's always been intriguing to me that she's a name that doesn't get brought up <laughs> yeah. more, even though this year she's been brought up We're honoring her for being a Hall of Famer, and she deserves it. That said, what's really the story uh, that I wanted to kick off with was the announcement of the 2021 induction group class, I guess, the 2021 Hall of Fame class, which um, will feature four names with direct connection to women's basketball, which is really exciting. Of course, we have two players, Yolanda Griffith and Lauren Jackson. If yes. I need to go over their accolades, you just need to do your homework. They're two of the absolute greatest to play the game, um, both former MVPs. We've also got Val Ackerman, the inaugural WNBA president, not just former WNBA president of ESPN. And lastly, Pearl Moore. And if you don't know much about Pearl Moore, I already want to do a W history on her. But uh, Pearl Moore, four-time AIAW Small College All-American. This was the uh, American Institution for... Um, American Intercollegiate Association for Women before they were officially, uh, at least on the small college level, a part of the NCAA, uh, part of the Veterans Basketball Committee, and is there's a lot of different things you could say about her, but um, she, let's see, I too, I don't have enough time to go over her overall accolades. I know that um, over. Her stint at uh, Francis Marion College, she averaged 30 points. She has a 60-point game to her credit. Uh, she was also one of the inaugural players in, and this is the official name, the Women's Professional Basketball League. Hmm. That's the name. Uh, played for the New York Stars. Um, one of not only uh, the pioneer women's basketball players of her time, but one of the pioneer black women's basketball players at the time. So her story is amazing. I hope that it gets told uh, backwards and forwards. I think there's a lot of people that would love to learn a lot more about her, but um, will be is added to that class as well. So really cool to, to see this. What I'm just really excited, first of all, it feels like a lot of years, not every year, but a lot of years, um, the, the women's players who, who are in these Hall of Fame classes are highly deserving, first of all. But it does feel like often you get about one name, usually almost like we need that token woman, quote unquote. Uh, so I thought it was cool to see four names and two players, because often when you look at players specifically who played in the WNBA era, it's very rare to see more than one in a single year get brought in. So to see Yolanda Griffith and Lauren Jackson at the same time was pretty cool. So as you look at this, as the news came out to you, what were your immediate thoughts? I was excited, man. I I hope that people who listen to this show have kind of, joined us on the journey we've been on the last four or five years, which is educating ourselves, not just about the current players in the league, but also like kind of filling in gaps in the past. And like, I'm just going to be honest. Like when we started the show, especially that first season, if, if you played two or three years before we started the show, I didn't know who you were. I was so dumb. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I, I needed to educate myself on who all these, you know, big names were. And part of that, you know, you started the W history research and obviously like we, you know, we've compared now players to the past for so many years and learned the different story arcs that, uh, you know, traversed the league for so many years that now I feel like it's kind of coming into this clearer, complete picture. And yeah, when you, when you throw out names like Yolanda Griffith and, and Lauren Jackson, it's just like, Oh yeah. Like, like I, I say stuff like this all the time, but I'm like early in the, in the days of the NBA, they were, there were giants in the NBA. Like, like, I think my go-to is, like, Julius Irving, Oscar Robertson, Elgin Baylor. Like, guys back in the day that, yeah. like, modern modern NBA fans don't necessarily know or care about. 
but it's like we we are standing on the shoulders of the people who stood on their shoulders like yeah they the reason the game evolved to what it is now is because of those guys and in much the same way you know this hall of fame class as well as Tamika catchings and uh, as well as someone who retired uh, right before the season started this this past week i mean those are the shoulders that the future players like asia wilson and and the Sabrinas of the world are going to stand on to to continue the league moving in the right direction. So Absolutely. it's really important to to pay homage to that, I think, and to understand like how how good they were when they were on the court, how much we should respect their opinions when they voice them about what's going on in the game now, because they know more than we do. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's just what it comes down to is these are the authorities on the sport and we need to listen to them. Yeah, it should go without saying sometimes it does not. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, very exciting news. Uh, it looks like the induction will take place in September. So be on the lookout for that. But a uh, very uh, fun and, and exciting weekend in terms of the Hall of Fame. And of course, congratulations to Kimmy Catchings, uh, Yolanda Griffith, Warren Jackson, to Pearl Moore, to Val Ackerman. You know, I think just there's so much to to get excited about women's basketball. And of course this is going to continue to thrive as we see more and more deserving names under the women's basketball pool to, to find their way into the discussion. That said, uh, one of the mainstays we're here to talk about, we had our opening weekend of the WNBA season. It was about as fantastic as it possibly could have been. I know we could technically go game on game, but let's just hit it from the narrative perspective. What were your immediate impressions and takeaways? from our first line of games this year. Yeah, well, well, I think the the first day obviously had a pair of highlights in that two of the game's premier players, um, who I know maybe W Twitter is tired of hearing about, but you're going to hear about them, oh, <laughs> uh, no. is Tarazi and, and Sabrina both hit game winners. Yeah. Uh, like day, day one, May 14th, the WNBA season launches, and we're introduced to what it's going to be uh, the rest of the season. It looked like, like you know, uh, first... Uh, a really good game between the Fever and the Liberty. It was close most of the way. Ended with a, a big Sabrina three, which was really fun. Um, and I know people might be getting a little annoyed at the saturation of of Sabrina content out there, but it's because she's expected to be great. And it was fun to see her go out there and do great basketball player stuff on day one. And then literally like two hours later, uh, even though it was marred by the longest referee review of all time. Goodness uh, gracious. Correctly. It, it was. I still consider it a game winner, even though for 15 minutes we didn't get to celebrate I mean, it, it as such. It would have been, yeah. And it was treated as such in the moment. A special shout out to our own Jason Snow, who, when we were previewing the Mercury, said almost verbatim, this is the player that when opponents see she has the ball with two seconds left, they go, oh, crap. And... My you favorite know, ask, was uh, ask the links how that felt. I think I sent you guys that video of I forget exactly who it was, but whether it was a player or one someone of, in the stadium, a Lynx fan or some. Yeah, there was an in stadium yeah. video of her coming down the court, six seconds left, and we don't know the time of the shot, obviously, because everything froze. But as she's approaching and getting ready to bend and shoot, you just hear someone repeat, "Just oh hell no, oh yeah. hell no." <laughs> And then as soon as it goes in, just, oh, my God, like, like Troll 2 style. I, I think somewhere in there, there was also an, oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah, just like, oh, man. Like, you yeah, forgot you in the moment, and then you're like, oh, crap, it's over. Like, there's only so many people who get that shot. In terms of day one, those are the positive uh, storylines. Yeah. I, I think I think you could also say that the Dallas Wings had a really good outing. But I, my takeaway from that game was more about the Sparks than about Dallas. I don't know how... He, You've got an LA shirt on. How 
What are your takeaways from the first outing from the Sparks this year? I think the Sparks just have a lot of baggage to figure out. Um, one thing people got to realize, this was NECA's game, you know, first game back since getting injured or being out at the end of the playoffs last year. Um, we're looking at a team that very much saw a ton of faces change. You know, it's obviously the first non-Candace game in quite some time. We're still trying to develop, you know, Tia Cooper. Erica Wheeler's getting used to things. And I don't know if they have a firm understanding of, like, what's the identity of the roster yet? Who's the go-to scorer? Who are the stout defenders? Do we have a death, you know, do we have an intensity lineup that we can configure somewhere? And so because of that, I just feel like the team isn't ever ready quite yet. Uh, I think one of the biggest bases of that is seeing like, you know, uh, Garante said, I think only played eight minutes. I feel like if they had, once they have their identity, she's going to see more minutes. Um, like so much of their identity, like I don't know what their bench environment's going to feel like. Who's their sixth? Who's, who's, Coming off and being a spark, you know, that spark off the bench, pun intended, you know, what, who's playing what role? And they're still kind of feeling that out. On top of that, um, the best teams with the most chemistry, whose roles are well defended, are going to have a hard time against a team that is shooting 50% from three and nearly 60% yeah. from the field. Dallas just couldn't miss, yeah. especially in the first half. And so, yeah, it was, it was a hard one to, to make up for like Alicia Gray was completely out of her mind in that game. And it was just, it was a hard one to beat. So I don't think it is as scorched earth as some people are making it out to be, but I will say what I saw from them, I feel like the, my prediction and a lot of the predictions across our group still probably pretty consistent. Like I still see them as kind of a mid-level team this year with the potential to once this, this starts to gel, it could really work, but I will say it feels like that that hot seat that a lot of Sparks fans have for Derek Fisher may be gradually getting a lot harder. I think they want to see some improvement sooner than later, and it's hard to tell whether that's going to happen. Yeah, you, I, I to a degree, I subscribe to the you are what your record is school of thought, but not when the sample size is one game, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like that's so I, I agree. I, I do think a lot of Sparks fans out there are kind of hoping that the Fisher era ends sooner rather than later. But don't be all in on the wings or all out on the sparks just yet. Um, as we mentioned, the, the fever got the win over the Liberty and the Mercury got the win over the Lynx in kind of stunning fashion. Uh, the Sun also handed the Atlanta Dream first loss of the season. The Sun got in the win column. Uh, and then that was it for the Friday. Uh, so any, any other takeaways there? Atlanta to me is one that is similar to you. Like I don't want to overjudge off of one game. But they're one of the teams coming out of this opening weekend that I just thought they just don't look good at all. I, and I don't know if they, it's the timing. You know, they just lost their head coach. They're figuring yeah. out new ownership. Uh, and, and there's just so many things to happen. And also it directly ties to this really strange narrative coming out of the 144 documentary, which we all should probably should have talked about. I just realized maybe we'll find time at the end of this, but it probably deserves its own episode. Yeah, that's um, almost its whole own thing. And so yeah. that might need to happen later this week separately. But um there was this moment during the 144 documentary where basically like Kennedy Carter was giving Courtney Williams, I'll call it the eyes, just like you could tell that there was something there. <laughs> and I get it. That's one moment from a bunch of footage of a documentary. You can't sit and make that be the one thing about that team's chemistry, but it does make you curious, like what's, the sitch going on here. Um, 
we didn't really get to see much effectiveness out of Ari McDonald at all. She was 0 for 4 from the field, uh, only made a free throw. Uh, I, and it just felt like there was disjointedness across that to say, like, it, I'll say, I'll put it this way. It's one game. Games two through 34 are going to have to pull a lot of weight for me to come out of this potentially being teams, team 12 out of 12. They just only, and, and there's a lot of reasons behind it, and it's a lot of stuff even out of their control. You can just tell that there's a lot going on in Atlanta. They have a lot to figure yeah. out, but. Well, and think about the structure. I mean, there's a lot on Kennedy Carter's shoulders to be a leader on that team now because it's not really on the coach or on the new ownership. They're like, that's all in flux. The only thing that's going to be consistent for the next year or two or three is going to be like, how high can Carter take this team? And it's so annoying, like, not annoying, but. It's it's a pretty tall ask to ask a sophomore in the league to be like, all right, well, this is your team now. Like that's, I mean, you're you're asking her to go out there and be the next Skylar Diggins Smith, and it's like, man, that's that's just tough to ask anybody to do. And you know what? I think she's up to it. Like they're going to need to surround her with better things in future years, but she's she's basically going to take ownership of that team this season, and that's kind of something that's fun to see. She's going to shoulder the burden that. A lot of times veteran players and coaches usually shield younger players from, um, but she's going to have a lot of opportunity to grow this year. And that's, that's kind of fun. I I'm interested in this year's rookie class, but because of the wobble and what it was, I'm also still keeping a lot of tabs on last year's rookie class. Yeah. So that's, that's just an intriguing storyline. I will say one thing about this matchup and it kind of almost ties with uh, their future matchup later on in the weekend, which is. Hmm. I'm trying to decide if this is a weird thing to say out loud. That Jonquil Jones, Brianna Jones, Dewana Bonner mix up is making an mm-hmm. early case for the best front court in the league. That's how good that, that <laughs> group. You would not know that was technically their first game together as a squad. Those three. It like well oiled machine. They're all getting theirs in. They're, they're all playing stout defensively. Con- Connecticut yet again is going to be so much harder to beat. The, to beat than even we anticipated. Yeah. Hold, hold the sun in your thoughts for, for about the next few minutes. Cause I think we're going to touch on them again here. Mm. Um, Saturday's games, you had a Chicago sky over the mystics game that <laughs> it was blacked out for me for some reason. So I didn't get to watch it in real time. Didn't <laughs> seem like it was a thriller. Uh, I don't know if you have any special takes on that one. I think aces storm is obviously the one that most people would have tuned into the Saturday night game. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of toss both of those to you. We, we're kind of moving through this episode pretty quickly, but I wanted to make sure we get to these. Unfortunately, the, the, there were really two narratives in discussion here with, with this game, and both of them were tied to Chicago. I think with Washington, a lot of people are playing a wait and see attitude because they have a huge yeah. bulk of players who are not going to be on this roster for a minute. And so it's going to take a second before people can give them a full judgment because we still need to see a little Daldon and, uh, just a whole handful of players that are playing overseas. I, I think that, the Mystics may see an interesting uptick, and we'll see if it plays well in their hands. Kind of the two narratives of Chicago first was Candace. Like, how's Candace going to play first game with this new team? She's really kind of the de facto face of the sky now. Is this going to handle well for her? She played about as well as you could possibly ask for. I mean, 16 points. She had a board. She had four assists. She had three blocks. Make great use of her time on the court, but I think if you've watched a lot of Candace Parker, and after our W History series, I've watched a lot of Candace Parker. Um, that's the most alive I've seen her on the court in some time, probably since 2017. 
when they were vying yeah. for a title. And that's not to put anything down on how she's played in, in the years previous, like in between, but you could definitely tell there's a bit more of a, uh, air in her lungs. There's a bit more of a spring in her step. There's a motivation here that really, t- that like, that is very different. You can tell she's gelling well with, with the rest of the roster and with the squad. I'm interested to see if their starting five continues to maintain or if they're going to play with it a little bit, because if I'm being honest, I'm not as in love with the starting five as some people probably are. I might play around with some of those pieces a little bit and see if you can find something. But I mean, it was a very easy win. The other side of it is the other narrative was does Chicago look like a top two team in this league because Chicago and Vegas are the discussion. They're the, these should be the best two teams in the league. They're probably the best title contenders. That's what everyone seems to be saying. I just don't know if that first game proved anything. It's just hard with what they were faced with as far as what Washington's going through. Chicago have a couple matchups in the upcoming that I think are going to be a lot more telling in how they're going to play that off. Namely, this uh, upcoming Thursday against Minnesota is going to be uh, a huge boon for them because that's a team that does not care in the slightest what Candace Parker's return to Chicago <laughs> narrative is they're ready to win a basketball game. Yeah, that one was, it, it was fun. It was sort of a, a tough matchup to get. I mean, we're, we're trying to gauge how teams look based on one, maybe two games right now. Yeah. Uh, but as you said, kind of an incomplete miss 16. Uh, Kalia Copper had a good game, six of 11 shooting for 19 points. Good to see her out there. That's uh, I think Copper and Ben Nigelani are kind of the two players early in the season that I'm, I'm keeping almost like a tab open in my brain to see yeah. uh, how they progress. Um, yeah. See if they're going to come into full fledged stardom. Cause I think that's definitely on the table. Yeah. I, I, I gotta say, um, I'm glad you brought up copper. Um, we didn't really get a chance to hit the New York narrative too much other than the Sabrina moment, other than to say, man, I might feel dumb for putting New York where I did in my predictions. That might be my worst prediction. <laughs> thinking they would stay to, well, they, they very much look, you say whatever you want about them playing in the end. Them starting the year at 2-0 is a boon if they played against a group of five-year-olds. I it, like that level of confidence <laughs> yeah, surges them onward, and that's considering they don't have Natasha Howard at the moment. They, there's something to the squad that feels it feels different watching this team play basketball. And yeah, that Laney, yeah. people have talked a lot about Sabrina, the Sabrina, but you know, Benajelani um duo, like that chemistry. Unreal. They've been, they played phenomenal together. So I'm hoping that may, that energy maintains because that looks really solid. And Laney's been a huge part of that. And I wonder if Clea Copper is in a similar scenario with Chicago in that she might be the impetus right now that's kind of gelling this roster together. You know, you talk about with Seattle, uh, in years where obviously Bree Stewart and Drew Lloyd and Superd are going to do what they're going to do, but also Alicia Clark was kind of a glue for that roster. And Natasha Howard is kind of a glue for that roster. Now the discussion with, with Seattle is, it, does that glue still exist? Where does it stand? And with Chicago, I go, yes, Candace Parker is going to do what she's going to do. Courtney Vandersloot, Diamond to Shields. But Clea Copper kind of feels like that piece in the middle that's making it all work. Just like that. It's that little yeah. bit of lemon pepper in the chicken soup. Like it's just making it all work. And I'm wondering if uh, that's really how it how it's working. Because she's she had a phenomenal opening night. And you could definitely tell it it really helped that we'll continue to move forward. Yeah. We're going to, I mean, I assume we're going to have a Wednesday or Thursday show this week. I'm, I'm out the rest of this week on, on a vacation, but um, there will be more talk of Ben Nigelani season and Kalia Copper's impact on the Chicago sky throughout this season. I'm sure uh, on this show. 
wanted to touch a little bit on the the Vegas Aces losing by 14 to the Seattle Storm in Washington. Is this a big deal for the Aces, or are we all underestimating the Storm? What's going on uh, based on the one-game sample size in, in this arena, Steve? <laughs> I'll give you three words about what we learned from this matchup. In my opinion, we... I guess five or six words, whatever. We didn't learn a <laughs> thing from this matchup. I get it. This is a big win for Seattle. It's also banner night for Seattle, so they're coming in ready to to fire away. Their key core to their roster is put together pretty well. I, I, I feel like for this, this is one of those opening nights where it's just like, if these two teams play tomorrow, it's probably a different result. It, it's it's one of those types of... When we talk about the Aces, we talk about Seattle. What like Seeing them play over the course of one night isn't telling us anything. It's really that idea of after, after game one, I'm watching these two teams play to open the season. Could I sit here and tell you which team probably wins three out of five? And I don't know. Uh, that's, you know, it's that case of this was in a bit of an off night for Vegas, but Israel Wilson still went nine for 16 from the field and overall looked comfortable. Liz Cambage has some catching up to do after missing a season. So I think you're going to see that pull up pretty well. Sure. I thought while the stats don't fully support it, Jackie Young looked pretty decent. Um, Raquan Williams looked a little bit off and I'm wondering if they mess around with the roster a little bit. I almost would love to see Hamby in that starting five a little bit more than I, than, than Williams. So I wonder if messing around with the starting five is really going to help them. And obviously losing Andrew McCautry plays so much of a role into how's that going to go down. Um, I liked some bits of what I saw from Chelsea Gray. The stats don't support it. This is one of those teams that we talk about how much Seattle lost. The Vegas added a lot to their arsenal to try to get themselves to a championship level. Give them a minute. Once they get a couple wins under the belt, this team will start rolling. I mean, I think Vegas is a team to me that will probably end up winning 12 of their first 15 games. And suddenly we're going to be like, why did we freak out at the start of the season? And that's yeah. one thing. And I'm not trying to take an ounce away from what Seattle pulled off in this game because they had a great night overall. And I liked what I watched out of them. But if you're one of those people saying, see, told you Seattle could beat Vegas, like that they're going to beat Vegas and they should be in the title discussion. <laughs> yes. If you were underestimating Seattle based off of what they lost, that's on you. They're about, they're as, they're as good as they've been. And that's one thing. But this isn't your credence to count out Vegas quite yet. For some reason, the narrative coming into this season was down to Vegas and Chicago. To me, it's easily a three-team race uh, because I don't understand why we suddenly just counted out Seattle. A team, If a team has Jewel Lloyd, Sue Bird, and Bree Stewart playing at the level that they are, as much as yeah. I love Alicia Clark and Sammy Whitcomb and Natasha Howard, they're going to get theirs. And that's what that proved to me. I think the energy of we're giving our rings tonight, we're giving our banner tonight, we're in these fly rebel uniforms tonight, like everything led into that that height of things. We, you know, you look at their starting five outside of Katie Lou, and, and I guess Candace Dupree, now that I say this out loud, I'm technically incorrect. Like, this is a core that knows each other really well with a Vegas core that's still trying to figure things out. And Cam Beige coming off of a year off and... You know, one thing we don't realize about Vegas here, this was a team that made it to the finals, you know, with a very well-oiled machine that is adding a very large cog to the machine to see if it'll still run that way. Any team would want to add Liz Cambage and her talent to their roster. 
But it definitely has that feel of like you have five really solid roommates for fall semester and then <laughs> spring semester comes around and he in walks the sixth roommate, you know, and you have to uh, reconfigure things. They can't just fit into the system. There's some stuff they're going to have to rework. I just think that as soon as that happens, and I think it's going to happen sooner than later, you're going to watch them start tearing things up. So if you had yeah. Vegas on your docket to bring home a ring this year, I don't think they lost any stock in that whatsoever. Um, but yeah, if you were looking and saying, Oh, Seattle is going to be mid level at best. I do think there's a bit of, of you might have been proved wrong, but we'll have to see. That's the hard part here is just these opening nights happen a lot. I mean, the WNBA is it's happened a lot. The MNBA, this happened a lot. You know, it's where, you know, the start of the 2020 MNBA season, the Clippers beat the Lakers. They then beat the Lakers two, two other individual games later in that season. Which of the MNBA teams lifted the Larry O'Brien trophy? Right. You know, what, what teams beat Seattle last year who we thought maybe they have a shot who took home hardware. So there's a lot to figure out here. And for me, it's, I just don't know. I went, I went a lot longer on this one than I even expected I would. But. You're totally fine. This, this is the game I do think, uh, listeners would want us to get in the weeds on. So I think that's okay. I am one of those people that came into the season picking the aces to win it all. If you listen to our season preview or I guess predictions episode from this weekend, uh, and I gotta say, after one game, even though I'm not down on the storm, I've, I've been, I'll probably be saying all year, like, stop overlooking the storm. They didn't get gutted. You know, they lost some key pieces, but, they're starting five, put up almost 80 points. They almost beat Vegas single-handedly without any bench help. Like, they're still great. But I'm a little worried because uh, they added Cam Beige and they lost McBride. And what I'm seeing is they lost the Battle of the Boards big time, 33-44. to 44, And they they fell behind, I think, from perimeter shooting. I think mm. the thing this Aces team is going to need, if, if the Aces do start slow or they have a cold stretch in the middle of the season where they lose like three of four... I think the column you're going to want to look at is this is an ACs team that tried to beat the Seattle storm machine with only three made three pointers. And that's just not a solution for success um, across the rest of the board. They're, they're still moving the ball around. Well, they, they had, what is it? Uh, 22 assists on 35 made shots. That's almost identical to what Seattle had. They chemistry wise, I think they're closer than we think. But they're missing that outside shooting threat big time. And it's, you know, Raquana Williams took a couple. Jackie Young took a couple. Asia Wilson made the only one that she threw up. I, th- I think you have to find ways to get Asia open more on the perimeter and give her the green light to take those shots. Um, I'd say Liz as well. I mean, she went two for three. But I think in a general night, Williams is going to shoot better. And Kelsey Plum especially is going to shoot better from perimeter than what it's looking like. But, um, I mean, Derek Hamby only threw up one. I, I think there's a couple of players that they, they need to have the comfortability to shoot more, but at the same time, yeah. uh, they just need to figure out what that piece is. And I, you almost wonder if like, you know, Whitcomb to, to New York, like it's, and that's, they need to find that answer. Right. And, and, and the Caleb McBride comparison is really solid of like, who's like filling up that piece and making that happen. And then they have a couple down pieces there to make it work. I just don't know if it's, uh, it's going to give you a moment, Kelsey, because Kelsey Plum is another name of we didn't see her for a year. She was injured. So how much uh, once they start getting comfortable and making things happen, I think you'll start to see it piece together. But to your point, yeah. um, you need to get that figure like to win games against the storm and against Chicago 
and against the high level parts of this of this league, um, you can't have too many of these cold nights. That can't quite happen because because what made Seattle's shooting night work was they kept shooting. I mean, they shot twenty three, they shot twenty seven from behind the perimeter, and it worked out for the them. The reason that I'm worried is based a lot of what we saw from the Aces last season, where obviously they made a deep run, almost threatened to win a championship, but. This is a this is a full this is a symptom, right? This isn't just an anomaly that they're not a great perimeter shooting team. Uh, if if they want to be an in the paint scoring on the glass team, they need to get more rebounds um, because right now they're missing out on both, and they need to <laughs> they need to excel at at least one of those two to I think compete with the top teams. But as you said in in your description of this game earlier, honestly, they're still going to beat eighty percent of the league on a given night, so. Yep. Um, it's just gonna, it, it, when the playoffs come around, we're gonna hope to see some of those, uh, some of those stats improve. Yeah. Uh, the only other game on that Sunday. Oh, sorry. That was the Saturday. The Sunday slate, um, New York Liberty topped the fever again, uh, to, to start 2 0. And then a very interesting Mercury versus Connecticut Sun matchup where Connecticut again flexed on all of our preseason predictions and reminded us that they are a cohesive, well coached, extremely good team. Um, Mercury a little concerning in that one. I think like it's it's not it's not a uh, panic time for any team, right? Like there's still thirty whatever thirty one games to be played for most teams. Uh, but the Mercury kind of uninspiring, I think, uh, at Mohegan Sun Arena on Sunday. So did you have a take there, or is it too soon to to be Worried if you're a Phoenix fan. This is frustrating if you're a Phoenix. First of all, um, this is definitely the team that every time they lose a game, I'm going to have people in my mentions based on my season <laughs> prediction for them. So whatever. Uh, if that's you, that's you. Good, good on you. Um, I mean, I, I don't, it's not a worrisome thing, but I think you come out of it with frustrations because very commonly this is the type of game that a Phoenix roster often finds their way out of. And it never felt as close as the score, even in a way. There were a lot of frustrations around there. I'm curious with the changes to this roster, with what they're trying to do, if Brittany Griner is a long-term part of that plan. And they may say that publicly, and it may seem at it if you look at her minute structure. But there's this part of me that starts to wonder if like, they know as much as anyone. There's a really good chance she's on the move. We'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? And they're trying to figure out, like, can we make this work without her as a piece? Because... I, it, this is a, a Phoenix frustration I've had for four seasons now. I'm waiting patiently for Brittany Griner to take over games, and it doesn't quite seem to happen. And this was the night uh, yeah. where it felt like it should have happened, and it didn't quite happen, so that was one side of it. Kia Nurse hasn't gotten herself figured out yet under this current structure, so I think that's going to switch things up pretty well. And once she knows what she's doing there, um, it'll work. But you're looking at a team that, outside of your starting five, Megan Walker played for 16 minutes, and then Shea Petty for 12, and then you only had two other players play four minutes. We haven't seen in, like seemingly anything out of this bench. And that's the biggest thing yeah. right now is, do you have an identity with your bench? Do you need for a time to move a key nurse to the bench to be a sixth who's going to, to lead the way and be a force to be reckoned with? I think they need to figure out how they strategize that because it's once they hit their subs, it feels like they, they don't sense the confidence in it which is just strange to me, but uh, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not worried full stop about Phoenix. I'm, if there's a team that's higher on the potential worry list than almost any other roster, 
Phoenix is pretty high up there because they, they have a good ceiling on them, but it just feels like they have a whole lot of work cut out for them. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know what you do if you're Phoenix. I, I don't envy their position because I think Brittany Griner is still a name and still capable when a fire is lit under her of being everything you think of when you think of Brittany Griner, the defensive player, the year type player. The problem is she does not have that fire under her right now and didn't for a lot of the, the wobble either. And I don't hold it against anyone for not being, you know, mentally all there for the wobble. It was a from from the documentary that we all watched. Like, it was not a pleasant experience. You know, players dealt with different things in a lot of different ways. And I, I don't really want to hold that season against anybody. But for a couple of years now, we've been doing this podcast and waiting to see dominant league like bully like world beating Brittany Griner. She doesn't show up a lot. Uh, I mean, numbers wise, she'll put up, she'll put up good numbers every season, but I don't think she's the intimidating presence that she used to be in this league. And so if you're Phoenix, you, you know, you're not going to get a Brittany Griner return if you try to trade, but you're also not going to get a Brittany Griner performance every night if you play her. And it's, that's frustrating. I don't know the solution there. Uh, it's very much like having a, I don't know if this is a good comparison or not, but it, it's almost like having a, a like a big running back name um, that mm-hmm. you know they they've got a two thousand yard season to their credit, but you almost wonder like they just don't they don't look the same out there like like what but you know you're not going to get that kind of return you deserve if you try to take it to the open market. So yeah, frustrating in that sense. I think it's frustrating. I think Phoenix is still in for a good year. I think they looked great in their opener, um, and so there's there's some truth to just. You know, there's going to be some, you know, <laughs> some rocking of the boat these first two weeks of the season. I, I think once we're two weeks in, we can start settling in into like what's the personality of these teams and what should our expectations be. And so it's a little early there, but I just I'm concerned. You, I know you dropped a take in our chat that was pretty strong about Griner that I won't necessarily share here, but we're all kind of on slump watch for for Griner, and we're not sure if she's ever going to climb out of it. You know what's really funny too is we're talking about so much for a player who pulled in 16 points, but at the same time, I I probably expect more than four boards out of 36 minutes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, she fell out not early, early, but probably earlier than you'd like to. Four blocks. You, you're never gonna get upset about that. So there's a lot of good things happening. I'm not talking about in the stat sheet. I just in pivotal game moments. Do I sense that urgency? And that's where I think they need to figure this out. That's where like, this is a, this is a Sandy Brondello and Brittany Griner situation of you need to sit down and work this out and just, you know, and determine kind of what's those steps look like. And how's it going to work outside of that? If I'm Phoenix, it's just, do we need to mess up with our mess around with our lineup a little bit to see if there's a way to actually breathe some life and, and trust our bench so we can give them quality minutes they need to, to make this work because I think when you look at the names top to bottom in Phoenix, there is depth on this roster, but their minutes distribution doesn't show that. And that's where I'm intrigued. That does it for this last weekend slate of games. I'm glad we were able to hit them all because I know there's a lot of action. Yeah. Um, the, the only other takeaway I really have from each of these, even though it's so, so early, is to me there are already two frontrunners for our rookie of the year race in this rookie class that we're so intrigued by. Um and Michaela Onionware is the one that I kind of wish that I would have picked in our preseason predictions episode. Yeah. Uh, 14 and a half points 
for for Michaela, and then uh, Charlie Collier uh, for the Dallas Wings put up a double double with eleven and ten. So some good early showings from from the rookie class. But again, too too early to, to kind of put a stamp on those. I I think uh, your pick of of Kaiser Gundrezik is going to end up looking better and better over the course of the season. So we won't pass any judgment on those yet. It's it's just hard because Indiana has this really interesting um, structure where they just don't give their rookies opportunities to shine. So I'm hoping that they go against <laughs> that for a while um, because I think when she's had minutes, it's been effective. Onion Wede looked really good in New York. I think they could go to Dee Dee Richards a little bit more. I, I just feel flow-wise when Dee Dee was on the court, that that offense was meshing really, really well. Yeah, um, yeah. It hasn't course to her getting much points or much stats it just feels like her her role allows the movement of that to flow really well and i like watching it so i think we have a lot more rookie talk to have um but obviously in general incredibly fun opening weekend uh i think that the whenever we talk ratings numbers it will look really strong across the board because there was a lot of chatter coming into this weekend um and a lot of great basketball to be had, obviously, uh, for the show. We have a lot more to look forward to in the coming weeks, so you should definitely keep your eyes and ears peeled on that. But is there anything else you wanted to call out before we put a bow on this? No. Uh, fun first weekend. It's so, it's so, so early. If this is your first WNBA season and you picked a team that lost their first game, like, hang tight. It's so early, guys. Like, I, I know games carry a lot of weight because there's not that many games. There's, like, 32 games, but... We got, I mean, reinforcements for some of these teams are going to be coming throughout the season because of Olympics and three on three and, and mm. all sorts of other commitments and injuries and stuff like that. So there's still plenty of stuff ahead, but, uh, man, it just felt good to be soaking in all the action again. All right. Well, um, that's really everything for this review. I think we have a lot more to look forward to. We have a lot of season, a lot of season for women's sports because NWSL is in full swing. The Olympics are so much sooner than um, we're prepared for, but we'll get to it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but, yeah, of course, <laughs> stay connected with us. We will have a lot more content for you. Be on the lookout on our Twitter for our Twitch streams. Uh, it's been a great experience. We uh, really just uh, have appreciated all the love and support we've gotten from that platform. The live experience has, has really made this a lot more fun. Uh, but that said, be prepared to hear a lot more basketball because we actually have season and it's like totally happening and it's the best. And we've got a commissioner cup in full swing and we'll continue to see how interesting that's going to be. All that good stuff. But until then, thanks again for listening to this episode. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Logan Jones. And we got you next time.